Welcome to Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'm bringing in another message today out of the book of Revelation. And today I'm in chapter 19 again. I've been here for a couple of weeks and uh, I'm excited over this section. It's a very difficult section, but of course every section in Revelation tends to be difficult. So I want to begin reading just a few verses and I invite you to follow along with me if you like. In uh, Revelation chapter 19, I'll begin reading in verse, uh, verse 19. Revelation 19, 19. The word of God reads in verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized with him and the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him, who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is uh, quite the, the passage here. It's a very terrifying picture, isn't it? Doesn't doesn't it just strike you how starkly different this is than, say, the first coming of Jesus Christ and the, the scene that we have representing that every year at Christmas with Christ as a baby in a manger, as one who comes to heal, to show mercy, and to save. And then this next time he comes, it's so vastly different. He comes to kill, not to give life, but to take it. The first time he came and said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The next time he comes, he's bringing death, physical death, followed by eternal death. So really, when you look at this, and we've been looking at chapter 19 for a little while, it's really an awful story. It tells of the greatest of the world rulers being made food for vultures, birds, uh, kings, leaders, strong confidence. Uh, leaders of the world become roadkill with no one to bury them. Their corpses are, are just, they're lying everywhere along with uh, everybody else and they're all reduced to the, to the same level. That is street level or ground level. Those who were once uh, conquerors, leaders elevated are basically desecrated to the lowest possible level that a human can be taken and that to become nothing but food for birds. That's what we see in this section. That's what are in the verses just before what I read, verses 17 and 18. In contrast to the world's conquerors, we see in, in this section the great real conqueror, the great conqueror who comes out of heaven riding a bright horse, or as the scripture says, a white horse, uh, with supernatural power along with the saints, and the angels that come with him. He comes with uh, his word, which is said and described to be a sword. He roars out of Zion, uh, the prophet says. He utters his voice from Jerusalem, and his voice is so powerful that the heavens and the earth shake. The fury of his own incensed, uh, incensed holiness will literally cause him to be smoking, as it will appear. The sun will disappear. The mountains will melt. The earth will split. Hills will run from their places. Uh, as one writer puts it, 
The waters will leave their channels. The sea will roar back in some kind of a howling fear. The sky will split and fold in on itself like a collapsed tent. It is the day for executing the world. And you know, the scriptures talk about this so often. We, we, we've seen this and we've talked about this several times. Uh, one of the major pieces of prophecy in the Old Testament is Psalm 2, of all places. Psalm 2. Listen to how it starts off. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? This is the look of the armies coming together for Armageddon. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And yes, we're moving towards this global anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Scripture, anti-church movement. It is gathering momentum all the time, and we're seeing it more and more. I'm seeing things today that I never even dreamed I would see back in the early 90s or even early 2000s. We see this uh, talked about. We've talked about this Psalm 2 for uh, several different weeks, so I'm not going to spend the time to get into it. But Isaiah 2 uh, speaks of it as well. There are so many sections of Isaiah, Isaiah, that's a hard word to say, isn't it, Isaiah, uh, speak of the final judgment on the world that, in which the godly are destroyed and Christ will reign as king. We can't begin to cover all of them, even in Isaiah, but I want to give you some samplings of them in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. It says, for the Lord of hosts will have a day. In fact, 19 times in the Old Testament, there is a statement about a day called the day of the Lord. The Lord of hosts will have a day and everyone who is proud or, or unbelievers will uh, lie or stands up against the Lord and against it. Everyone who is lifted up uh, will be uh, considered in this and it will be a day they are not going to want to be a part of. In fact, it says men will go into caves and rocks and in the holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. Uh, when he arises to make the earth tremble, in that day men will cast away the moles and the bats and their idols of silver and the idols of gold that they made from themselves to worship in order to go and fall, asking the rocks to fall on them. Uh, this, this is an amazing picture. We've been getting it all along in, in the Old Testament, but it's not until the New Testament, the revelation that is being uh, spoken of here, it's not until that begins to come into play will all of the others shine, be shining like a shining light to us. Man is nothing when compared to God, and God's vengeance is coming. We see this clearly. In Isaiah chapter 13, chapter 6, you can read that if you get a chance, uh, because it, it, there again, it's a reminder. Uh, remember, as we go through this, I want you to, to be reminded of one thing as I'm going through this, this lesson today. God is sovereign. He is in control. Now, the world is going to believe he's out of control if they believe in him at all. If they even think of him or if their God comes to their mind at all, they'll think, well, if he's there, he's totally out of control. He's not running things. But think about this as we go through this section today. God is very patient. God is merciful. God is the God of salvation, but God will not be mocked, and his patience will not endure forever. Is that amazing? Yeah, it's amazing. The day of wrath will come and is coming, 
And that's what we have began looking at in the last few weeks in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, we, we see that the world essentially is in covenant with Satan. The world has its uh, has persecuted those people who belong to God. The world has been a terrible place to live before this happens in Revelation 19. Uh, the, the world has co-existed uh, with, with Satan as the ruler. He's been... Uh, ruling this earth for about three and a half full years. And uh, it's just an amazing thing to see. In fact, we can go through Isaiah, uh, even in chapter 66, the last chapter. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Now, you know what's interesting for us today is I, I know we're looking for the rapture of the church. We're thinking it can, it can happen any minute which it can. There's no signs. There's nothing that has to be cleared before that can happen. There's no event that has to come. Nothing. And we're looking for that. But think about this. The world has no idea what we're looking for. The world has no idea what's about to happen. The world has no idea of, of all that is taking place here. In fact, I'm titling my message today, uh, How Will the Antichrist Die? Because that's going to be their ruler. That's going to be the one they look to. That's going to be the one who is, along with the false prophet, who are deceiving the people of the world, believing that he is going to help them. He is going to be their savior. He's the one that's going to be performing miracles. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Man, that tells you a lot about how they're going to believe, uh, what they're going to think about him. The prophet Joel talks about all this. Uh, he was given a revelation of this very same day that we're talking here in Revelation 19. Listen to Joel chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days, and at that time, when I restored the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, this is when the kingdom comes. Before that, I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them on the behalf of my peoples and my inheritance. We think that's the sheep goat judgment of Matthew chapter 25. Uh, uh, and he says... As they have divided up my land, I'm coming to judge them for what they've done to my people Israel. So let them know. Chapter 3 of Joel, verse 9, says this. Proclaim this among all nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. The army that is gathered to fight against Christ will be assembled by God. God calls that army together. And then, of course, Christ defeats that army in an instant. It's amazing. I tell you, one thing's for certain. If you don't see the sovereignty of God in all of this, then you're not understanding sovereignty. Uh, it, it's just an amazing thing. When he says, let all the soldiers draw near, says God, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords. They will shape them up. Uh, get ready. Even those who have uh, farming implements will turn them into weapons. Let the weak say, I am mighty men. Hasten and come. All you surrounding nations and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. What an amazing thing. I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations, says God. It, it, it is amazing. This day is coming. And we see that judgment in Revelation chapter 19. Multitudes and multitudes are going to be in the valley of decision. The valley of Jehoshaphat, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision, it says. 
The sun, the moon will grow dark. The stars lose their brightness. The Lord roars from Zion, utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Well, this is that day. It's hard to imagine what we're reading is a day that's for real. It's going to actually happen. I will avenge their blood. I will have not avenged for the Lord dwells in Zion. Vengeance from God. And by the way, God's vengeance will be absolutely accurate with regard to justice because of his perfect knowledge of everything. I'm not even going to go into some passages here because time just doesn't permit. Even if I was standing in a pulpit in front of uh, a big crowd of people and they gave me till 5 o'clock, I still probably wouldn't cover Ezekiel 38 because of all that is there. Ezekiel 38, read that. And 39, that's, I know people look at that as a coming war with Russia, but we don't know that that's not tied into the, to the second coming. We don't know that that's not part of Armageddon or the campaign of Armageddon. But when you come into the New Testament and you look at what some of the things Paul said, like 2 Thessalonians, it is just, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, to give relief to you and that you are afflicted, and to us as well as when the Lord God will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. There you go again, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again, folks. The people that are going to fall into this judgment around the globe are those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very simply stated, very clearly stated, they will pay the penalty of the eternal destruction out of the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. You see, this truth that we're looking at in verses 19, 20, and 21 is a terrifying truth. There's nothing to tamper with here. You can't mess with this truth. There's nothing frivolous here. This truth is not relative. This is not to be uh, based upon how you interpret it. This is truth. All these passages are pictures and prophecies, the final judgment, which is exactly where the world is headed. There is coming a final end to the Antichrist. Now let me tell you something. He hadn't even hit, he hadn't even started yet because the rapture is, it hasn't happened. But when he does, he is going to be a, a nightmare for the people on earth, even though most of them are not going to realize it. Terrible. And the people will ask me uh, all the time. I've had, I got a neighbor, they ask me all the time, do you think it's really near? Well, I, I, don't, I know it's near. It's nearer today than it was yesterday. But I think it's even nearer than that. What is nearer than that? I think the rapture is near. If the rapture is near, that clears the way for the tribulation period to begin. That clears the way for it to begin. You see, the, there are signs for the tribulation to begin. And number one is the church has to disappear. But there's nothing prophetically that has to happen before the Lord removes his believing church and unleashes the terror of the tribulation period described in Revelation 6 through 19. For that seven years, God will judge with the fury. Opening begins in the opening the seals, then the blowing of the trumpets, and then pouring out the bowls of wrath, which we've looked at all of that. That all culminates in that final judgment when Christ returns at the end of that period to destroy all of the ungodly. Whew, it's one interesting thing to note back in Revelation 19. 
And that is, uh, you have the execution. We, we just read it. Beginning in verse 19, it says, And the rest of the dead were killed with a sword. That is, the rest of the world is killed. Judgment is described for the beast and the false prophet and Satan back in, or over in chapter 20. We're going to see that later. But the multitudes across the world are drawn into what is called, we mentioned it a while ago, the Valley of Decision or the Valley of Jehoshaphat. They're not there to make a decision, which I have read actually stated in commentaries. They're there to hear the decision of God. They're there to be the victims of the decision that God made long time ago. The judge has already decided. This is execution day. Our Lord saw this day, and we need to need to think about that as we get into this. Our Lord knew this. Christ knew this. That's what Matthew chapter 24 is about. For example, verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation in those days, here we are in chapter 19 of Revelation, that seven-year period, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky. We read that in Isaiah. Uh, we read the powers of the heaven will be shaken. We see it in Matthew chapter 24, and then in Matthew chapter 25, the sheep goat judgment or the, the judgment of separation takes place. We looked at that last week. But you know what? All that background comes to the, the 17th verse that we looked at last time as well. Uh, the opening, I saw literally one angel standing in the sun, cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven. Amazing, amazing prophecy. Come, assemble for the great supper of God. I know I called it dinner because I had somebody comment that, you know, supper is a southern term. Well, when I began to study this in the, in the actual foreign, the uh, Greek language, I saw that well, it's really dinner or supper. It doesn't really matter. But some people know supper. Some people know dinner. So I called it dinner. But literally, my text says supper. Come assemble for the great supper so that you may eat. Here's the, you may eat the flesh of people is what he's saying. You may eat the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, free everyone. That's one angel saying that. And we know angels are associated with judgment. We've seen this. This angel cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, come and assemble for the great supper of God. Man, let me tell you something. You know what this supper, uh, it's amazing to look at this supper, because last time we even mentioned that there is another supper in Revelation 19. And that's back in verse 9. The two suppers, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb in verse 9, enjoyed by the saints and those who have been taken to glory. This is a different supper. Birds fly into mid-heaven. This angel will call the birds, actually a command to the birds. It's an invitation. He's inviting them to eat the dead flesh, which the Son of God has declared to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one who made these bodies dead. That is to say, he has sovereign power over everyone. You have to be able to see that. But you know what? He's, he's even sovereign. God is all-powerful and ruling He's over all, even the birds. He's commanding the birds. And you know, I can't help it. Every time I think about something like this, I think about Mark chapter 4. And I have taught from Mark chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 35, so many times. But in that sea calming the sea, uh, when he, he stood up from being in the sleep and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, you remember what he said? He said, hush, be still. He issued a commandment on the on the boat to the wind and the waves. 
and the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. How would you feel on a boat if someone you had on the boat stood up and said to the wind and the waves, be quiet, be still, and it happened? Wow. Well, let me tell you what these disciples did. He said to them, why are you so timid? How is it you have no faith? And then it says in verse 41 of Mark, 4, Mark chapter 4, verse 41, they became much afraid. I love how that says that. And said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, imagine this. The wind and the sea do obey. Well, is that hard to believe? What about all of the birds in heaven obeying him and feasting on this food? He is sovereign even over them. I tell you, the sovereignty of God, if you ever doubt the sovereignty of God, listen to Psalm 83, 18, that they may know that, that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the almighty God over all the earth. Psalm 93, 1, and this, this actually appears several times. It says, the Lord reigns. And in, in, in Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. And guess what? Guess what that means? He rules over all. He doesn't share sovereignty with Satan. They don't have a battle here determining who is going to be sovereign at any given moment. God is sovereign. God is in control, even of Satan. You see, God doesn't ask permission. He gives permission. That's what sovereignty is. The Lord has established his throne in the heaven and his sovereignty rules. Listen to what Psalm 115 says. But our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. That's what we're reading in Revelation chapter 19. He does whatever he pleases. Listen to Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the sea and in all the deeps. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Proverbs 21, 30. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. Man, these verses go on. I could, I could sit here and give you verses probably for an hour. I've got just sheets of verses that I, I, I always try to remember. What about Hebrews? The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. So he's always been sovereign. But during Revelation time, during the tribulation time, during that seven years, it's going to seem as though he is not sovereign. It's going to seem as though Satan himself is sovereign. But he's not. God is sovereign over him. Satan is accomplishing God's will. Think about that one. So when we look at this, man, we need to understand that as we get into this. Proverbs verse 18 we talked about this, that you may eat the flesh. This is what he tells the birds, eat the flesh of kings, flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, those who sit on them, the flesh of all men, free men, slave men, small, great, corpses lying unburied for the birds to eat. I tell you, this day is coming. Look at verse 19. There's a second thing to, to consider here. 
One is the proclamation that goes out in verse 17, but then there is this announcement that comes in, in verse 19. And I saw the beast. This is what John says. I saw the beast of, uh, and the kings of the earth and the armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and upon his army. And his army. The conquest is announced. It's accomplished here. John sees, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Well, the, these pronouns can I, maybe can get you confused, but let me tell you what, what this is. I saw the beast, it says in verse 19. Who is that? That's the Antichrist. The one world, word, the run, one ru, the one world ruler. I say that 10 times. The one world ruler in, that we saw in Revelation chapter 13. Well, his demise is coming. How will the Antichrist die? He's going to die during this time. This is it. Look at what it says. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. That's all his leadership. Uh, he is described in Revelation 13, verses 1 through 8, powerful, blasphemous. He operates under satanic authority and satanic power. He is the one world ruler. Verse 8 of chapter 13 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundations of the world. You know what? i got to say this again. i got to say it. Because I hear it so abused. Your name is not added to the Lamb's book of life the minute you trust Christ. It's in there before you're born. <laughs> now, what does that do to your theology? Think about that. That's what this says. Look at Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, when? From before the foundation of the world. Guess when that was? That's in Genesis 1, 1. That's when that is, before that time. Your name was recorded in heaven, never to be blotted out. The whole world will worship the Antichrist, identified as the beast who comes out of the earth. He's the head of the world. And that's what we're seeing here in verse 19. The head of the world is going to be overtaken. The head of the world is going to die. That's his death day. That's the day he's going to die. You know, we're not going to die one second earlier than what God has appointed. The Antichrist is not going to die one second earlier than when he is appointed to die and he has accomplished God's will. Oh, no. That's the way it is. So the beast is seized, and with him the false prophet. Down in verse 20, it says. Look at what verse 19 says again. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, their armies. That's everybody assembled by the Antichrist to make war against him. Who's him? That's Jesus Christ. That's the Messiah. That is the, the conqueror coming from heaven against him who sat upon the horse. That's the white, bright horse is his own. And against his army. Who's that? That's us. That's us. Oh, they're assembled to make war against Christ and all of the armies coming with him out of heaven. That's us. Look at verse 14. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Little do... We know we got an army waiting to destroy us. Well, is that possible? Can they destroy us? No, they can't destroy us. 
I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army, assembled to make war against Jesus Christ. How foolish. They're against, against imagine, they're, they're coming to battle Jesus. They see the armies, so they figure they'll fight them too. Who are they? That's us and all the angels. Whew. The battle is set. Zechariah 4, chapter 14 says it. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 5 speaks about this and identifies Christ's army as all the holy ones with him. His enemies succeeded in killing him when he came in humility and grace. They hated him when he healed. They hated him when he showed mercy. Imagine how they're going to hate him when they've been under his unrelenting judgment and severity for at least three and a half years during that second half of the tribulation. We can't even describe that kind of hate. And then it happens. The beast is seized. The false prophet is seized. Look at verse 20. The, the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived all those who had received the mark. Here it is. Everyone who gets that mark of the beast has been deceived. And everyone who gets that mark of the beast will die in judgment. They cannot be saved. That's what this is saying. You see, the beast is seized. The anti, which is the Antichrist and the false prophet. Uh, we found it in, in we, their identity revealed in Revelation chapter 13. The false prophet is a sort of religious partner of the Antichrist who performs some kind of deception 